God's grace, his mercy, his peace, they are yours through our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, who is that Lamb of God who bids that we, we come to him. Amen. The word of God we look to is recorded in Mark chapter 7, selected verses returning from Jesus as the bread of life discourse in John to now the religious leaders coming to Jerusalem to confront this one who, who had been doing miracles, who had been healing people, who had been feeding people, who had been driving out demons, who had been speaking to the heart with a message that was profound beyond what they'd get from the religious leaders of the day. Jesus was ruffling feathers at the same time with those who didn't like what he had to say and weren't sure of what he was doing and why. And so the religious leaders at the time had a meeting with Jesus and if you sit down to the one who could feed 5,000 by breaking some loaves of bread and fish, who can walk on water, who can calm storms and calm hearts, what's the first thing you'd, you'd want to ask the Son of God in the flesh? Well, maybe you have a different question in your mind, right? But, but here's what the religious leaders of the day decided to, to ask. The first thing that comes out of their lips, why don't your disciples live according to the tradition of the elders instead of eating their food with defiled hands? Okay, okay, let's set aside all the miracles you're doing and, and all the things that you're saying. What we want you to explain to us is why those guys that are following you have not washed their hands before they eat. Because we have a tradition passed down by the elders that says we ceremonially wash our hands with sprinkling of water and the cups we use and the place we dine, we take hyssop and we sprinkle water so that we have this imagery of clean and unclean. We have to make sure that everything we do, everything we eat is clean going into the body because that's what God demands, that we be clean. Clean outside, clean inside, and this is the way we've come to understand what cleanliness is. Now, none of this was in God's word. Remember what Deuteronomy said? You know, Moses is saying, don't add to God's word, don't subtract from it. But the elders had done just that because, you know, God gives you something and says, do this. And then in your mind, you wonder, well, what level do you want me to do this? That's always the question. We always got to figure out because we have to have the list we can check off to understand that it's done. And then we can move on to more important things. And God God doesn't want to be a check on a list. And so when Jesus in the flesh, God who has come down, the promised Messiah, sits with the religious leaders, they want to hit for him to explain why dirty hands could eat food. And, and Jesus directs them away from that which is on the outside of the body and instead says the problem is inside the body. Jesus knew how to rustle feathers as they said, you understand the tradition and why Jesus didn't follow it. He, he came to the feast when the feasts were prescribed, when he had to follow certain regulations that were prescribed by God himself in the ceremonial law. Jesus to the letter of the law did it, but these other things... Seriously, this is how you dictate what puts a smile on your God's face, washing your hands? Well, that was religion back then, and, and is it religion today? 
day. I'm now let's take outside of the religions that try to aspire by acts and deeds of dedication or the pillars of Islam, whatever it is, to get right to God, that God rewards you for whatever cycle of life you're on or however man deals with this. But let's just go into modern Christianity. For a time, I was down south doing ministry and it was big down there and maybe not as much up here, evangelical, Baptist, primitive Baptist. And some of the things that they touted as religious was you don't drink at all. We're teetotalers down here. It's sweet tea, it's lemonade. Or if you're, you know, really into this, you don't gamble and you for sure don't dance. Well, that's maybe the primitive Baptist would say because that leads to all kinds of things that don't please God. And, and gambling for sure is off the table because that leads the heart towards other sins. And so on a golf outing, if you're a pastor having a beer over the course of 18 holes, you're looked at judgmentally by the other clergy as you call yourself a pastor and you drink beer in front of people? God can't be happy with that. And, and to that, it is such an easy thing to do. And if you want to get really extreme to, no, to say no caffeine too, that's, that's the strict thing. I wouldn't put a cigarette to my lips. Absolutely not. Because these are the things that make God's happy. And God smiles because these are the things I show my dedication. And by doing that and saying that often, we are saying to the others that don't do the same thing. You're not making God happy. Well, how about this? Instead of not having a beer, try this. Try not lying for even a day, stretching the truth. How about this? Don't become angry at all to anyone around you. Never bear a grudge. Never give body language or silent treatment. How about make everybody that crosses your path that day your new best friend? How about that for a list that makes God, God happy? You know how hard that would be? I mean, caffeine, alcohol, church attendance. But, but you see, these traditions and these lists that we come up with become the new morality and give us this feeling. It, and this isn't determining whether they're good or not. These can be good things. It's just when we use that to determine who is doing good before God and who definitely isn't to judge hearts by the outward things. Could that even trickle in to people sitting in the pew here today, Lutherans that, that have it straight? Lutherans that, that know what, what it is to, to follow the right path? Well, let me give you this. I, I actually have the, the ticket for you to live a God-pleasing life. Do you want to know what it is? It's pretty simple. Just live like me. No, no, hear me out. Okay, from Sunday to Sunday in this service, I will have gone to church six times. I've heard the same sermon how many times? So that is a God-pleasing thing, right? Be more like me. You know, I pray all the time, more than before meals and before bed, because, because I know the value of praying and also because people tell me to pray for them, so it's part of my job. And I'm in God's Word all the time. I am every day beyond reading the meditation. I am in God's Word because I'm preparing for sermons and classes. Confirmation class kicks in this week. But follow my lead and you will see a path that has been honed Follow the other pastors too. You've got three of us as examples, exemplary examples of what God's word can do and how that will bless you and your family and the people around you. Live more like me and you're probably going, oh, 
It took six years before we realized our pastor's true colors that he's that arrogant. And I'm waiting for lightning to strike, right? But this was the religion of the day. To say, be, be more like me. And, and that's not what religion is. That's not the worship that God desires. But, but even among our own here, I'll just touch on a hot button that I'm not making a scientific or any kind of proclamation about masks, whether the validity of wearing or not. We're not, this is not the discussion. But what as a pastor I've seen is that you'll have some say that I love my neighbor and that's why I wear my mask. And, and in that same statement, what you're saying is when you don't wear a mask, you're not loving your neighbor. And so the statement is made, although it's not subtle. And so let's, let's be careful because there's another camp that says, I don't wear masks because I don't want to be dictated by, by science. And, and there is no law that says I must wear a mask. So I trust in God's providence that he has my days numbered and he will protect me from viruses. And so I'm showing a trust in God and his plan rather than trying to, by what I do, show a lack of trust. And so I'm following trust in God and providence and those that wear masks aren't. Do you see how dangerous that is? Where a piece of cloth over a face can dictate where people's hearts and dedication to neighbor and, and God is. And, and let us never dabble in those in those things and, and, it, and it happens in subtle ways. I go to church all the time and so the people that don't go to church don't get it. I give a lot in my offerings and, and sometimes I'm even working with the gross income rather than the net and I figure out the percentage and so God must be more pleased with what I do than the person that rarely gives. And regularity, of course, that's what the church needs every week and I'm part of that camp and the other camp, you see how quickly and easily it becomes the way that we judge morality, whether it's washing hands or wearing masks or gloves or eating bacon or not or church attendance or whether or not alcohol is consumed. We make the list like, like the list we all want to have on Saturday morning when mom or dad makes the list for the kids and they see that these are the things to do and they wonder at what level do I need to do this? Okay, clean the room. So is it like I have to make the bed military style where I tuck the sheets or do I just throw it over the top? Is it kicking the, cl the, the clothes and the, and the shoes under the bed or is it lining them up in the closet? Is it actually taking my clothes and just throwing them in the hamper and letting mom do the rest of the work? Or is it me taking it to the laundry room and helping her in advance of what she didn't ask? And we want to have the list and we want the smile on mom's face but there's a problem before any of that because it should be the heart that's invested in it that does that and the list happens in all areas of life we want to know what makes people happy and we think that if I'm doing something better I'm doing something good even if it's the easiest thing then God thinks it's good and God is happy too but that's not the list of morality that God gives it's way deeper and so as he was being confronted about his followers not washing his hands, Jesus says to those who were leading the religious people of the day, Isaiah was right. He was spot on when he prophesied about you. You honor me with your lips. You know the phrase lip service. You know what that means. But your hearts, they are so far from me. You think that by holding to the traditions of man that you are achieving great things and you, and you have given away and given away 
the commands of God that are not optional. You have let go of these things and Jesus calls a crowd to himself and says, do not hold on to these things because it's not what goes into your body or the exterior things that make the difference. And whether it's the food you eat or the germs on your hands or whatever it is you're trying to clean, that's not the real issue here. Because if you think you can stand before God and say, God, I wore a mask or didn't, or God, I washed my hands or I didn't, or God, I went to church 90% of the time and I gave a percentage of what I earned to you, and this is the thing that God determines whether or not you go to heaven, well, you are defiled and it will not go well. Because God looks at the outward actions and says, hmm, because he wants the heart and the heart has to be there first before the actions mean anything and so the list that Jesus gives is a far deeper and and harder list than the ones we create and Jesus just gives a quick little list here of of six actions and, and six attitudes and listen to what he says sexual immorality Wow, that's the first. How, how, do we, how do we deal with that one when we live in a world obsessed with sexuality? We have advertisers that use it in everything, the music that we listen to. You, you go anywhere and you, it's all around you and, and God says, flee from it. May it never be an action that even the eyes and the mind wanders. Greed, theft, Murder and, and we think of theft. I haven't gone to a grocery store and took and, taken what isn't mine, but, but theft of time for our employer, theft from what is owed to our government and taxes, theft happens all the time. We, we do it, but we, we put this veneer over it. Murder, I think of the Taliban right now rooting out people that are sympathizers to America or anyone that professed Christianity. They're immediately put to death. You don't hear about it on the news. Those are the murderers, and yet God says the same heart is born in you that doesn't value life and turns your eye from things that don't value life. He says, if you hate your brother, you have committed the same crime, although the earthly reactions are, are different. Greed? Our whole economy is based on greed. You get ahead because of greed. Now, it's not wrong to have and to be blessed and to use your talents toward that. When it becomes the end result of my life and it's the motivation of why what, what I do, it's I gotta have, gotta have, gotta have. God says that's not a heart in line with him. He says there's no room for greed if the heart puts me first. And malice and deceit and lewdness. It doesn't matter what I do. It's their own fault for thinking that way or looking at me that way. It's not about me, our world says, and so often our heart acts. Slander and arrogance and folly. Attitudes that just one after another condemn. And if one stands out and the other doesn't, even if one of these things comes from your heart and you stand before God, he says in the end, you're defiled. These things mean we're defiled, so how can we possibly stand before a God whose expectations are so deep and so convicting and we are so wrong and so helpless? There's, there's only one way 
And it's the one who speaks these words who changes everything. And he starts with the heart. There has to be something new created there because the heart we have by nature can't, won't do it. And that's what Jesus does. You see, the list that accuses us where we can't stand before God is the exact list that is the to-do list of the Savior who came and lived in the flesh in our place. Not a one of these things in a perfect way could I my whole life say, I have lived it and stand before God and say, judge me according to it. And yet Jesus, that's the very thing that he did. That's why he had to be God because it couldn't happen otherwise that in every thought, word, and deed from the time he was born to the time he breathed his last and going through the hard, terrible twos and going through grade school and going through the awkward teen years and even the dating years and the rebel against parent years and I got it all together years of adults that think they got it all together and Jesus did not once do one thing think one thought that went against this list. His heart was pure all the time and that's what had to happen so that the life that God demanded would be a life that God could simply give. It was a transaction that happened by faith that your heart has been changed, that God now comes and says, I have a new heart to give you as my life covers yours and it happens in a washing at baptism It happens in a meal that's received where body and blood is given and shed for you. It happens in the conversation you already had. God, I come before you pleading for mercy and God says, I come to you with that exact mercy. You're forgiven. I have cleaned you up You are pure and holy in my sight. And that's not just an image and a picture that makes God smile and us smile too. There is power in that transaction that changes everything. This is often the way I I try to, as I'm talking to Bible information class, to new people coming in, either as a refresher or coming in new, how do we deal with this whole thing of works? Like my life for God. Because so often religion says my life for God is what makes God happy and these other things are necessary too and God doesn't say that at all. And here's the way I like to explain it. The things I do cannot save me. God makes that clear. The only thing that can save me is what God has done for me through Jesus. God makes that clear. And so if I believe that Jesus did it all, that God punished him in my place, that now I have a clean heart because of that transaction by faith, it means that I know who I am, a child of God, everything's changed, and I know where I'm going. But because Jesus did this for me, it impacts everything I do. Do you see the difference there? It starts with Christ in the heart. Christ who comes and makes clean what is dirty. It comes with Christ in the heart, that work, that tireless, sometimes silent work that the Holy Spirit does in us constantly when we we expose ourselves to his word. It it comes with, with Jesus himself proclaiming us the way that he sees us and the joy he finds in it, the place he has prepared for us and how so much of him and all his work now is making sure nothing gets in the way of that reality being our reality. It's really all about Jesus who comes and cleans our hearts and makes our life for him possible. 
So I'd like to share with you as maybe a way to wrap this up. It's, it's a canticle, an offertory that we often sing in the liturgy. It's not part of the liturgy today. But sometimes when you say it instead of singing it, the words have a, a deep, deep meaning because you can focus on them. And I, I think it wraps up exactly the interplay of the Holy Spirit and Jesus and our hearts and our lives. And so I share these familiar words. Create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a right spirit within me. Cast me not away from your presence and take not your Holy Spirit from me. Restore unto me the joy of your salvation and uphold me with your free spirit. May the Holy Spirit through through his word, even, even today, he has put a clean heart into you. May he continue his good work. And may the clean heart that Jesus has given you be a heart of power now to reflect all that Christ is and all that Christ has done for you. And now with this heart, may you go out and live. Amen. Please stand. Now may the peace of God, which is ours through our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, who has cleaned our hearts, move our hearts now to love and to serve him. Amen. I invite you now to take what's in your hearts and minds and confess it through your mouths as we, we share boldly our confession of faith in our triune God and the Apostles' Creed.